Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Okay, that's better. Better. There's a reason I, I start that way. Um, this is Palm Sunday. I'm sure you've gathered by the uh, you know, nice graphic there that says Palm Sunday. Um, the many times that during the service that we've mentioned about how this is Palm Sunday. And we know that the name Palm Sunday comes from the palm branches that people laid before Jesus as he came into Jerusalem. And they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessing is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. That's Mark chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. We'll talk about today, and I mean a lot of churches will talk about how, you know, and it was actually mentioned this morning, how pe the people of Israel misunderstood who Jesus was, what he was doing by coming to Jerusalem that day. But let's not miss the one thing that they were doing right. Remember, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is God incarnate. He is the fullest of deity dwelling in human flesh. And he was among that people. I tell you, praise is due his name. And Hosanna was a great thing to be saying. Speaking about the blessedness that they had in seeing Jesus. <coughs> is a good thing, even if they misunderstood who Jesus is, as we often do. Even if they misunderstood what Jesus' role was, as we often do, it was right to praise Jesus. You see, Jesus was blessing not merely Jerusalem, but the whole world. They, were, they saw a garbled earthly expectation of who Jesus is. They imagined Jesus was going to inaugurate some kind of political kingdom right then and there. But he did something so much greater. So that at every tongue and tribe and nation on earth would stand before, the God, before Jesus Christ at the end of time and see him as valuable. We are part of the kingdom of God because of what Jesus did. Praise him. Praise the Lord. Amen. Okay. <laughs> we'll work on that. The reason I, I have to talk about this, though, is because we in the modern West, and I think especially in Canadian culture, have trouble with thanksgiving, with praise and thanksgiving, with seeing things that have been done for us and giving thanksgiving for it. Uh, even in churches, it's hard for us to really get into worship, to get into praise, to get into thanking Jesus. Most of our lives, we honestly don't think about the ways God has blessed us. I, I mean, maybe you guys are much better than me, but tomorrow when I'm just, you know, in my apartment, reading a book or whatever, I'm very rarely going to be thinking about the goodness of the fact that I can take breath. The fact that Jesus has saved me from my sin, that I can know pre uh, fellowship with Jesus Christ. I'm not going to think about that most of the time. And because of that, I'm not going to get really rejoicing with it for the rest of the week. In fact, I'll find sometimes, even when I come here among you, I apologize, but some Sunday mornings... 
I don't feel like praising Jesus. Uh, I haven't had my coffee. Uh, uh, some of you have done something that irked me, usually because it's a good thing. You did something good, and I just, I, I'm easy to irk. And I'll feel not really that much like praising Jesus, even though he is infinitely valuable and he has been, regardless of what, what I feel. Part of it also is that we live in a time and a place in 21st century Canada where rights are the main thing we talk about. And don't, don't get me wrong, I think rights are important. I think that every man, woman, and child ha should have equal rights before and under the law. I believe that we as a people should take care of the lesser, uh, the lesser people among us, the people who have less stuff than we do. Not really lesser ontologically, lesser in money. We need to be doing that kind of thing. But the problem that we have right now is that rights have become so valuable, so intrinsically spoken about that we imagine that we have rights over and against not just one another, but over and against God. We imagine that because God has blessed someone, God needs to bless us too in exactly the same way. Because after all, God has to be, you know, non-discriminatory. You know, as if God actually signed on to the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. That, by the way, that's uh, under government, not for private people. Anyway, just a pet peeve I have as, a, as an ex-lawyer. We imagine that we can say to God that I have a right to something. And because I have a right, that changes my ability to be thankful for it. You can't easily be thankful for something that you imagine you're owed. And so often we imagine that we are owed things by God. <coughs> that our blessings are somehow something that we deserved. When, according to scripture, I mean, based on my sinfulness, I deserve death. That's about all I deserve. If God's going to be equal about things, I die and we all die. That's pretty much where it comes, comes down to. If God is going to be fully just. But we imagine that, I don't know, if I have a nice house, if I have a nice car, that I deserve it, that I should have it. I imagine that because Jesus Christ has come into my heart and changed me, I deserve it because I actually did do love Jesus and that gives me a right for this. If some people aren't saved, Sometimes I'll get mad at Jesus because he isn't doing what I think he should do in the situation. And I mean, let's be clear. That's a really hard situation. I'm sure all of you have some members of your family, people who you love, who you know, do not know Jesus. And that if they died today, well, they're not going to the presence of the Lord. In fact, some of you probably already know members of your family who've already died and never knew Jesus. It's easy to imagine then that we don't have a reason to praise God. Yet, 
the people of Israel understood better than we do that praise and thanksgiving is always something we need to be doing as believers. Personal rights don't trump God. We need to be a joyful people. We need to be a thankful people because we have been blessed, haven't we? Okay, a few of you actually believe we've been blessed. That's good, that's good. Uh, just for a, a, a matter of point, uh, for a point of reference, every man, woman, and child in this room is actually wealthy on the, on the world scale, just saying. Um, none of us are breathing poison right now, technically speaking. We might have, you know, problems with it. You know, honestly, I hate fluorescent lights. They give me migraines. But other, that doesn't, I, I, I have a head that can have a migraine, which means that God is blessing me. We are all blessed. Many of us in this room know Jesus Christ. I mean, you know meaning in life. You know the ultimate value in the universe. You're blessed over and above anything else in this world. In fact, the Bible even goes so far as to point out that be, compared to that blessing that we have, everything else is insignificant. Friends, we are infinitely blessed. So why don't we rejoice more? Why aren't we the most clearly joyful people in the world? Why is it that when I go out into the world outside and I talk about being Christian, people imagine that we are kind of dour, sad, scoldy kinds of people. When honestly, we won the lottery a hundred bajillion times over. All of, the, all of the stuff that Jesus has is ours in Jesus Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. <laughs> and yet, so often we act like we have nothing. We act like it's just a normal day. I, I literally own <laughs> the universe in Christ. <laughs> like, seriously, this is my Father's world. Like, all of it. And I am in him. And yet, I am so often lost in myself. And sad and, and self-righteous. And I, I get scoldy to people. I, I imagine that people need to do things that, to make me happy. I mean, I, I like it when people do stuff to make me happy. But I don't deserve it. It's more important for Christians, too, because we're actually commanded to be rejoicing, joyful people. I mean, it's a hard thing, to, it's a hard command to follow, isn't it? You know, just be rejoicing, have joy. But the Bible actually says it. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Let's be, let's be as blunt as possible. This is the entire verse, so you can't actually nuance it. It says... Rejoice 
Always. How often are you supposed to rejoice? Always. Yes. We can't nuance that very well because there's only two words. Philippians 4.4 says, rejoice in the Lord. Always. And in case you missed it, again I say, rejoice. We're commanded to be joyful people. We are repeatedly called to be thankful. It says in Psalms 56, 12, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. We're called to be thankful. And notice, thankfulness and offerings are kind of linked here. I will render thank offerings to you. Notice that we, we, we tend to have this idea that, you know, the way we feel and the way we act are two different things. The Bible doesn't seem to have that easy dichotomy that we have. You see, how do you, how do you thank Jesus? Well, you give him offerings of your life, of your joy, of your praise, of your body. Present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. I think that's in the Bible somewhere. We are called to be thankful. We are called to rejoice. And it happens over and over again. Psalm 107, and I'm just going to read the first eight verses because I really like Psalms. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Notice this, it has a command here. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. And that's every last one of us, isn't it? And gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south, again, us. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no, city to, to, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted within them. Kind of like our, us before Christ. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in, and ultimately we will dwell in the city of God forever. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. That's us. We are called to rejoice. Colossians 4.2 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, with thanksgiving. Our prayers are to be marked by thanksgiving. Joyful thanksgiving in who God is. Thankfulness is necessary to the Christian life. I mean, when Paul faces people who get all ascetic about the Christian life, you know, being dour and taking things, instead of taking things in joy, he castigates them. Look at this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. There are these people who forbid marriage and require absence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe in the truth. Believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. And yet Christians tend to be noted as people who have this, these long lists of rules that we keep. I mean, there are some people who honestly believe that the Christian message is that if you follow these rules, you'll be blessed. And that's not the gospel. 
The gospel is you're blessed in Christ, and so obey him in love. The rules get followed because we've been, we've been blessed. And thankfulness is thus necessary for the Christian life. If you don't have thankfulness, you'll find it really difficult to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and then you'll find it really hard to do the things he calls you to. But if you really do have a thankful heart, if you really do see the value in what Jesus has given us, it becomes much easier to obey him. Even the ordinances of the Lord call on us to be thankful. And we did, we did, uh, we did communion a few, we, uh, was it last week? Week before? A couple weeks ago, anyway. We did, we did communion. And we're called in the ordinance of communion itself to be thankful. In the ESV, it says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? I, I actually like the NIV on this one a little bit better uh, when it translates it. it. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Friends, we are reminded to be thankful every time we do communion, to be thankful for what we're going to commemorate on Friday, Jesus doing on the cross and his rising again on, that we'll commemorate next Sunday. Friends, we are called to be thankful, rejoicing people. And yet, so often we're not. And it's the desire to see the value in rejoicing, in praising God that we can see in Nehemiah chapter 12. Yes, I'm going to get there. <coughs> Nehemiah chapter 12. Remember, so let's just go back for a bit of history here. I've been preaching through the, from, through the book of Nehemiah. You remember that? Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king in a foreign land. He loved his homeland of Israel. He loved the God of Israel. And the God of Israel called him to return to Jerusalem to build a wall around the city that the city might be rebuilt. And if you'll remember, God worked on the heart of the king so that the wall around Jerusalem was actually paid for by the Assyrians, not by the people of, of Israel. He came back and through all of the, op through the opposition, through all of the hatred of the people around him, him and the people of Israel rebuilt the wall. And it was so clearly done the people saw that this must be a work of God because it had been 70 years and in like 70 days, a wall went up around the city. Is it any wonder then why they were so thankful? They saw the blessing of what God had done for them and they were thankful. In fact, many scholars believe that Psalm 147 was actually used during this, uh, this particular time in Nehemiah 12, where they, we see the dedication of the wall. It says in Psalm 147, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names, 
Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rains for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor in the pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. He sends out the command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs who can stand before his cold. And actually, as we see this morning, we, kind, we can kind of understand that one a little bit more. He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. You can say amen right now. Amen. The people of Israel knew what it was to praise God. They saw what God had done among them and they praised him for it. It, just to look at the verses, and this is Nehemiah chapter 12, starting to read at verse 27. Actually, I'll give you a minute. If you have your Bible, Bibles are good. Open them up. Nehemiah chapter 12, beginning at verse 27. This is the context which we heard that psalm. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the village of the Nephilites, also from Beth Gilgal, and from the region of Geba and Esmaveth, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. And I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall, and I appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. And just for a matter of uh, linguistic differences, Hebrew is a very different language from English. So choirs that give thanks is actually one word in Hebrew. So I find it interesting because oftentimes when I say choirs that give thanks, we imagine that there's a whole bunch of different kinds of choirs and you know that this, these are just the choirs that give thanks. Well, when we're looking at this in Nehemiah, what these people are supposed to be is to be thanksgiving givers. That's what the word means, people who give thanks to God. They put, anyway, two great choirs. I thought that was amazing. To give thanks. One went to the south wall, to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Hajuda, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests' sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, 
son of Shemaiah, son of Matthiah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachar, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azrael, Melilai, Galilai, Mai, Nathaniel, Judah, and Hanai, Hanani, with musical instruments from David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them, which is, by the way, the other book that you should read in concert with Nehemiah. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David to the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. If you want to get a kind of a mental image of this, people do prayer walks nowadays. Well, that's exactly what they're doing. They're going up around the wall of Jerusalem, or at least the half of it, and just singing praises and thanksgiving to God all the way around. And they set another choir to do the, to do the same thing. The other, uh, on the opposite end, the other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall, above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, and, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshana, and by the fish gate, and by the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate, and they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and the officials with me. And the priests, Eliakim, Messiah, Maniam, Micaiah, Eloyonai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets. And Messiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Jehonan, Malkijah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezariah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day were appointed men over the storerooms and contributions, the first fruits and the tithes, to gather them into the, por to the portions required by law for the priests and for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. Isn't that beautiful? <coughs> Just the beautiful image of the people of God praising God together. Now, I do want to be careful here because if you've read a little bit further along, you realize that this is a little bit of an idealized situation. There's going to be a little bit more of a negative thing that we'll be talking about in two weeks. But it's an idealized situation. So it's we're seeing a, we'll see a more nuanced understanding in chapter 13, but for now, I think we can learn from this idealized view of what happened some things about the joy of salvation and the ideal of joy in our salvation and thanksgiving to God. I'm going to give you three points because that's what Baptist pastors do. Give you three points. And then I'm going to give you two points of uh, application that I think come from the text. First of all, joy and thanksgiving is organic. It's something that grows out of your heart when you have 
actually received blessing from God. When you see the blessings of God, when you see what God has done for you and in your life, the natural reaction is joy and thanksgiving. And where you don't have joy and thanksgiving, I don't think you should try and screw up your abilities to try and be joyful in situations that you're not actually joyful in. I think you need to look more at who God is. Your joy is something that grows out of who God is and what God has done for you. And to be clear, if you know Jesus, if you know God, there is good reason to rejoice. It's an implication of my favorite verses, uh, in case you're wondering, Romans chapter eight, verses 28 to 30. If you want actually, my blog is actually considering 828, it's based on this verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now understand that. That means that regardless of your situation right now, if you are in Christ, all things are working together for your good. All things are working together for your good. If you are fearful now because you have problems in your life, if you're not actually getting the marks you want in school, if your job isn't advancing in the ways you need it to, if your parents aren't doing the things you want them to, or your children aren't doing the things they want them to, all things work together for the good of those who love and serve the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And God actually gives us the reason for that. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Friends, you're being formed into a brother or sister of Christ. He's aiming to make you into the image of the son of God. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Friends, if you know Jesus Christ, you have infinite reason to be rejoicing today, to be thankful today, because everything in your life is set up to the praise of God in Jesus Christ. All things work together for good. Everything. And if you don't see that, I, I just would remind you of this. And if you see God working clearly, the response to seeing God working is joy because he loves you. He desires your good, not just your immediate good, not just your comfort in the here and now. He desires for you to enjoy him in heaven, in his presence for all eternity. He is there for your joy and for your ultimate joy forever. If you understand that, we should be joyful people. And joy grows out of an understanding of who God is, an understanding of what God is doing for us. That's where we get our thankfulness. It's not because you have a rule to you know, sing songs at the right times or to do all that kind of stuff. It's because of who Jesus is that we're joyful. It's because of what he has done that we will praise him and are thankful to him. 
joy and thanksgiving is organic. In verse 43, it says, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced for <coughs> God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Oh Lord God, I pray that that was true of us. I pray that if we were joyful if we saw who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for us, that we would be the kinds of people who far away they would hear about the goodness of God, about our joy and the basis of our joy, Jesus Christ. Joy and thanksgiving is organic. Second, joy and thanksgiving is orderly. Now this is a strange one. I don't mean that, that, you know, like you have to have specific rules of how you praise Jesus and that, you know, necessarily you have to follow these rules. And if you don't follow these rules, you're not actually praising Jesus properly. What I mean is kind of like, hmm, Pastor Gary, who used to pastor this church, used to use the phrase, uh, 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 I can't remember the exact phrasing now. I apologize. I should have written it down before I came. But ignore, uh, excellence, it's essentially the excellence that can be ignored. A ki the kind of excellence that you doesn't distract you from anything else. Undistracted excellence. There we go. Thank you, Jeff. It's undistracted excellence. It means that you set up your worship in such a way as the worship doesn't focus on you, either because you're doing it poorly or because you're <coughs> doing it awesomely, because the worship focuses on Jesus. These choirs of thanksgiving that they put and went sent around the city of Jerusalem weren't designed to make people think really nicely about the choirs. It was designed so that people would think about what God had done in building those walls. Friends, I, 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 I really like the worship team here. They're great people. And, you know, one of them actually, you know, works with me, so I have to be kind to him. But what's really good about a worship team, if they're doing their job properly, is that you forget the worship team. They serve to point you to Jesus Christ. They serve to make you worship him more. And it's orderly in the sense that it doesn't cause you, they, they try to keep their notes right, not so that they think, so that you think, oh, wow, he's an awesome person. He's really able to move those notes around really well. He can hit, she can hit those high notes so well. The idea is, these, the, I'm hearing these beautiful songs of praise to Jesus. Jesus must be amazing. Worship is orderly. Not because, again, and not necessarily following a whole bunch of rules. I remember, I grew up Anglican. When I go back to my home church, this is not a word of a lie. Last time I went there, the church actually gave me six different books with which to follow the service. And I had to figure out which book was to be used at which time. Luckily, I was raised in it, so I had memorized huge chunks of the Anglican service. But that's not what orderliness means. Again, orderliness is the desire to see God through the worship. <coughs> and that's what our joy is to be like, a joy and thanksgiving that is 
orderly, that is designed solely to see God glorified. And finally, I've, I've actually pointed you to this before. Joy and thanksgiving is obedient. You see, it, is, it resulted in them obeying God's commands. The obedience was not merely duty, but empowered by the joy of thanksgiving. It's stated directly in verse 44, if you look down. On that day, men were pointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns. For, this is the reason, Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered, and not specifically because they were nice priests or Levites, but because they ministered. The reason that they put the money aside isn't because they had a rule that they had to make sure that they got, you know, 14% or 10% or 8.7% of the gross or the, they didn't, that wasn't the point. They set the things aside, they gave the money, they gave the service because it was for God. And they desired to rejoice in God. And it's important that we as Westerners kind of see this because again, we tend to separate obedience from love as if they're different things. I think the biblical mind is smarter than us in this point. Because if you d love Jesus, you love him in everything you are. That includes the way you serve, it, serve him. That includes your pocketbook. Oh dear, I probably shouldn't have said that. I probably not, I'm probably going to get fired. But it does include that. It really does. If you love Jesus, you love him with your whole life. And honestly, if you don't love him with your whole life, you should learn who Jesus is because he really deserves to be loved that much. So I have only two applications, as I told you, and I've apparently gone over, I apologize. Two applications, only two applications. First of all, be the people who cultivate a joy in thanksgiving. And again, by that I mean you seek to be joyful and thankful. Not because you kind of screw up your ideas and say, I need to be thankful, so I'm going to be thankful. Gosh darn it! No. Look deeply into who God is. Look deeply into how God has blessed you. It shouldn't take much to do that. That's why we have Bibles. If you read your Bible, you'll see lots of ways that God has blessed you. It'll tell you over and over again. And if you pray to God and ask him how he's blessed, how he's blessed to tell him how he's blessed you and how he's blessing you, he'll tell you. It's called wisdom. He's promised by his Holy Spirit to give you that if you ask. So ask. Seek to see God's blessing and seek to see God's blessing as blessing. And if you can't do it yourself, ask God for help. And if the people around you are, uh, can help you, ask them to tell you about how God is blessing you and how, how you are, be, how you are a, a blessing to them. And if you see other people being a blessing to you, tell them about it so that they will know how they're being a blessing and they can be thankful. And that gets to the second of the applications. And this is the application that uh, we see in just the fact that this entire section of scripture exists. Express your joy in thanksgiving. D 
don't just keep it to yourself. It's really hard to know if you're a joyful person if you try not to express it. It really is. In fact, I'd go so far as to say sometimes, if you can hold it in, you might not be joyful enough. <laughs> I say that because I've watched, I've watched sports things. I don't understand sports. I am a bookworm. I sit in a room and I read books. I get very happy at reading certain books and, you know, seeing the end of the book or a really good thought. And I go, yeah, that's amazing. And I'll tell other people about how amazing that book is. Well, people at sports games, they do, it the, they do the same thing, except they're a little bit more effusive in it. You know, when somebody scores in a hockey game, everybody goes nuts. Everybody, they express their joy openly and clearly, and everybody knows why that you're joyful. And after the game, they're going to be eating nachos and talking to each other about how amazing that shot was. And seriously, he put a rubber puck in a net. Jesus Christ lived the sinless life that none of us could. He died on a cross for our sins. And we have infinite value because he values us in Christ. <coughs> That's a little bit better than a puck. <laughs> it's actually better than a book. And I, I know that sounds like blasphemy to book, book counts like me, but Jesus is more valuable. And so we should express that joy openly. And if you don't know the joy of the Lord, if today you are not feeling to know Jesus and you don't see it, come talk to me. I'll, tell you, I'll, I'll talk to you about it. I'll pray with you. I'll show you the places where God has blessed you so that you could be joyful too. Friends, praise the Lord. Okay. I guess that was a... Praise the Lord. Better. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, um, you are amazing. Everything you do is good and you've done great things for us. By your grace, may we be the kinds of people who show your joy in you. May we be the kinds of people who express it openly, orderly, organically, because in the end, our joy is not optional. Oh God, open eyes, open hearts, strengthen people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.